Today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, let's go ahead and open up there. And the title of today's study is The Advent Announcement Part 2. And so last week we looked at the angel Gabriel's Advent Announcement to Mary And this morning we get to ponder the Advent announcement to Joseph. And then on Christmas Day, Lord willing, we're just going to cover, uh, we're going to behold his actual birth uh, in the Word of God. And so uh, I mentioned to you last Sunday that the word Advent, it speaks of the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. And so for us in Christmas time, the notable person obviously is Jesus, right? And the notable thing is salvation. And the notable event is that we call it the incarnation, the hypostatic union in which God took on human flesh. He never ceased to be a God, but now he was 100% man, and now he's 100% God. This is Jesus. This is what he's done. He's come to save us. And so um, we saw last week uh, Mary's uh, experience with the angel, how the angel Gabriel came and told her that she was going to have a child conceived of the Holy Spirit. And uh, after you know the angel explained a little bit about how that was going to be done, Mary yielded herself to the Lord. But the situation was that she was betrothed to a young man named, named Joseph. And so how is he going to take it? How is he going to take the fact that his betrothed wife, not yet married, not yet consummated marriage, but it was a legal binding engagement, how would he take the fact that his girl was pregnant at this point. And so, of course, now we read uh, Joseph's story in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. It says, now that the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother, Mary, was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, it says right here, uh, the, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. And so this is how it happened. This is how it went down. These are, in one sense, the historical facts surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ. And so Luke covers the angel Gabriel's appearance to Mary, and Matthew now provides Joseph's experience. And both obviously would be necessary. Both are accounts of angels being sent from Almighty God to a couple of young people who they might have just been teenagers. We don't know for sure. More than likely they were. You know, it kind of makes sense if you think about it, even from a biological perspective. When the hormones kick in, right? And that's that's young, 14 years old, man, 15 years old, sometimes younger. It, it makes sense that in those days, that's how they would do it. They would get married. Um, it would definitely take care of the sexual temptation. And um, that's the way it was back then. And so this is all to say that these are youngsters. These are are kids. We we would see them that way. But they were godly. They were so godly. And it's so cool when we see the way that they both serve the Lord. But here we see that in verse 18, Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Uh, The Greek word means to be promised in marriage as We've been looking at this. It's probably better described as a legal binding engagement. And so um, the way that it worked back then is kind of cool. I don't know how you guys would feel about it now. How many of you here think arranged marriages would be cool? I'm just curious. So not many of you. I, as a parent, I think it would be kind of cool, you know. 
So you see this uh, young you know, person, and they were like, man, they would be a good match for my kid, and their parents, a great family, that kind of stuff. And that's the way they would do it back then. They had the arranged marriages, and, uh, and then when they got old enough, it became the betrothal, and they were even at that point called husband and wife. We're going to see that in today's uh, study. But they were not yet married. They don't live together, and they have not uh, consummated the marriage. And so... We, we even read in verse 18 that it was after they were betrothed, but before they came together. And so clearly the scriptures here indicate that they had not been sexually intimate, right? But, but then the angel drops the atomic bomb. <laughs> you know, Joseph finds out that his fiancée, his betrothed, is pregnant. Imagine that, guys. Imagine if you were engaged to a young lady and she was a godly young lady and you were looking forward to her and getting married and spending the rest of your life together and you find out that she is pregnant and you know the baby's not yours. Imagine what's going through your mind. And then to further complicate matters, Mary tells Joseph this. This is her, her alibi. She says that God is the father. That she's been chosen to bear the Messiah. And she may have even told Joseph, we've been chosen to raise the Messiah. How many of you guys think you would believe her when she told you that? <laughs> right? Um, I don't think when many of us would. Um, Joseph didn't either. Good one, Mary. You know I've heard people can do anything, but I would never have ever expected something like that from you. I mean... And I, and I go, and I, I know we see this in, in life. I mean, you know, there's people that you put up on a pedestal and you think they're so amazing and so perfect. And then you find out that something like this takes place. And, you know, it, it just breaks your heart. But, but of course, we know all of us are, are, are potential sinners uh, to the nth degree, right? And so that's where Joseph was. I can't believe you did this. And so we read in verse 19. So then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Here again, it says in verse 19 that Joseph is identified as her husband. Not only her husband, though, it says right here that he's a just man. Other translations say he was a righteous man. He was an upright man. He was a noble man. And he, and he didn't want to make her a public example because of that. This was not going to be posted on social media. He, he didn't want it to get out in any way. He did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He just had it in his mind to divorce her quietly. As few people that find out, the better. Now, it, it may be not just because he didn't want Mary to be disgraced, but it also may be because he didn't want Mary to die. You know, pregnancy outside of marriage violated the Jewish civil law and it was punishable by death. And not just being pregnant outside of marriage, but the mere act of adultery itself carried with it the death penalty. According to, we call this the Jewish civil law. Okay, so it wasn't something that was binding for all people. It was the Jewish civil law. You read it in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10. Deuteronomy 22, 21 through 24. Because someone might read that, you know, and I bet you that hits home with a lot of us. I was actually conceived out of wedlock. You know, my parents weren't married. Some of you maybe were conceived out of wedlock, or maybe you yourself fell into sexual sin, 
you know, before you were a Christian, or maybe um, you had a child and you weren't married, and you're thinking, wow, you know, God hates me. No, it's not that God hates you. It's just that our God is a God of purity. You know, and for us, when we look at what's going on in our world today and all the sexual sin that, that takes place, you know, we, we kind of take, take it, you know, it's not that big of a deal. But when you read the Old Testament, that it was punishable by death, by death, then you realize how important this is to God. Not that he would necessarily, you know, um, you know, execute you, because when you read in John chapter 8, the woman who was caught in adultery, Jesus didn't kill her. He didn't have her stoned. But it just goes to show you the heart that God has for purity. And there's a lot of things, actually, that are, are interesting. When you read the Old Testament, Israel, civil law. Another thing that's interesting, did you guys know that if you were a young person and you disrespected your parents, that they could take you out by the city gates and they can actually have you stoned to death? Have any of you guys ever disrespected your parents? That's that, but according to the Old Testament law, you, that's why there was no juvenile halls back then, man, because you know, they feared the Lord. You know, but um, of course, again, in a practical sense, it wouldn't necessarily be carried out. We, we don't really read of that happening a whole lot in the Old Testament. I can't think of, of a much, maybe one time. But again, the message here is how God feels about this. And that's why when we read this, I pray youngsters would respect their parents. And I pray that we would stay sexually pure you know mary committed this crime in the jewish law that was actually punishable by death and so not only did joseph not want her to be disgraced you know he didn't want her to die and so if joseph wanted to he could have filed his case and thrown the letter of the law at her but he was no doubt um, heartbroken he was angry thoroughly convinced that the one he loved, the one he had set his heart to spend the rest of his life with, had been with another man. And now she has the audacity to lie, and not just any lie, but to lie and say that God was the one who conceived the child within her. And so he's thoroughly convinced Mary's committed adultery, and the worst part about it is that he has, she has not confessed to the crime. Now I'll say this, this is a quick side note, you know, as a pastor, sometimes as a parent, when people do things and, uh, and they don't confess it, you're trying to force them, you know, to, to tell you what they did and you know they did it and you're, you're trying to force them. It's never the same when they get busted as when it is when they just come forward and tell you. Because usually as a pastor, when you're looking at situations, oh, you got busted, you're not repentant. But, but if they come forward and tell you, then you, that's more of a heart of repentance. So, so Joseph is right here. She's thinking, yeah, she did it. She blamed it on God. She's not repentant. And so it brings him to the doorsteps of divorce, not publicly, but privately, as secretly as possible. He could have put her on blast, right? But we know, read here in verse 19, that Joseph didn't want her to have that, have that stigma that somehow... Mary might be spared the sentence. And, and, and it's kind of cool what you read about Joseph. Because, you know, you can read, you guys know, right? Every single jot, every single tittle, that means every, the smallest 
Hebrew letter, the smallest Hebrew grammar mark, every single word is there inspired by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit says that Joseph was a just man. He was a just man. You're you're trying to figure out, like, who was it that God chose to raise up Jesus? And Mary, I mean, you read her her prayers. You see her her submission. I mean, godly uh, to the the core, right to the heart. Joseph, the same thing. We're we're saying that about him. A righteous man, a good man. The Greek word, it means uh, that, that, that just that. It means right, righteous. It means virtuous. It's the same word used of Jesus in Matthew 27, 19, where it says, while he... Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat. His wife sent to him saying, have nothing to do with this, that just man. And so Joseph was already like Jesus, kind of, you know, in one sense. And who knows, you know, when you look at this, it's it's so cool to see that Joseph, who would be the stepfather of Jesus, was of the same nature. He was a, a just man, even though he's thoroughly convinced that he'd been wronged. He doesn't want anything bad to happen to the person who thinks he thinks that that did him bad. And that's a lesson right there woven in to this whole thing. You know, you, you want to be used by God? No, it's not that we ever earn it. We'll never earn it, you know. But God looks at the heart. When God chose a king for Israel, when, when God was looking, and not him. Oh, but look at how big he is, Lord. Look at this guy. He's got the looks of a king. Not him. Because I look at the heart, the Bible says. They are, everybody else, they're looking at the outward appearance. But, but the Lord says, I, I look at the heart. I know there's a lot of people, they want to be used by God. They want to be used by God. And there's a reason God chose Mary. There's a reason God chose Joseph. There's a reason God chose Daniel. There's a reason God chose David. Not that we'll ever earn it or be worthy, but let me tell you, let's meddle with the middle. Because if our heart's not right, we're not usable in his hand. And Joseph here, he was a a just man. God chooses people like that. He uses people like that. And then I thought it was interesting too, because when you're looking at the character of an individual, this is a big factor right here. This is a big thing. I mean, even though Mary didn't do him wrong, he thoroughly thought she did him wrong. And this was a a wrong, as wrong as wrong can be. I don't know if it gets much worse than this, maybe murder, but that's about it. And, And so, you know, This is wrong. What she did to me was wrong. But you want to know something? He was not going to do her wrong. You know, divorce in such cases is is biblical. Divorce is acceptable. But he was a just man and he knew, you know what? I'm not going to make a big scandal of all this. I don't want her to be disgraced. I don't want her to die. I don't hate her. I don't have any aim to shame her. I don't have any animosity in my heart. I don't have any bitterness in my heart. I don't. I don't have that. You know, and, and when you look at that again, guys, that's a, a, such a cool thing. This is a quick side note right here. When you're looking at this, I pray we have the same heart. Have you ever been wronged by someone? How do you take that? You know, a lot of times we're like tit for tat. A lot of times we're like fire Oh, fire, fire with fire. If they're going to treat me like that, then I'm going to treat them like that. Well, when we do that, we're not like Jesus and we're not even like Joseph. 
You know, for us, we have to, I love what it says in Romans 12, 17, never pay back evil with more evil. Romans chapter 12, verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, when someone does you wrong, that's your opportunity now to show them what's called agape love. Either you got it or you don't. It's okay, it's super simple to be nice to everybody who's nice to you. But when someone does you wrong, then it's a true test of character. Where are we really at? Joseph here had been wronged, but he was not going to seek, well, he thought he had been, but he's not going to sink to that place. And so here he is, he's thinking about this. I'm sure he's praying about this. And as he's there, um, he falls asleep. Look what it says in verse 20. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Now, some will tell you that this angel is is Gabriel. They're like dogmatic about it and Probably probably is, 99% sure it is, but we're not 100% sure. The Bible doesn't say so. We do know an angel appears to Joseph. And if I had to guess, I'd say it's Gabriel. But here we see um, the angel comes to Joseph and, and he says, don't be afraid to say, I do. Don't be afraid because what she says is, is true. The child within the womb of Mary is supernaturally conceived by the Holy Spirit. And as I was reading this this time around, something kind of caught my my eye. I was kind of like, wow, Lord, I never really noticed that that Joseph was afraid. He was afraid. But what was he afraid of? What was he afraid of? You know, it seems to indicate that deep down inside, maybe he still wanted to marry Mary, perhaps. Sometimes that happens, huh, guys? The angel doesn't say, hey, don't be angry. That's not what the angel says. The angel doesn't say, don't be bitter, don't be down, don't be discouraged. Apparently, Joseph wasn't struggling with any of those things, right? Like we would, all understandable emotions. But but that's not the primary struggle with Joseph at this point. The primary struggle at this point is fear. And he says, do not be afraid to marry her. In other words, I believe with all my heart that he still loved her. How could he love her? A special man, right? He knew her. He knew she was a godly lady. You know, but maybe he's thinking, because I know we always like trip out on this, like what will people think? What will people say? Do I have the capacity to do this and raise someone else's child? Maybe he even thought to himself, well, what if she does it again? You know, because he's thinking that's what she did. And so, you know, he was afraid. So the angel puts his finger on the issue, that emotion, And for us as Christians, I think it's always a reminder, we read it in the scriptures repeatedly, we are not to be led by fear. 
We are to be led by faith. And deep down inside, I think the angel was saying the same thing that Joseph wanted to do. We need to be led by belief in the word of God. And right here, God was speaking through the angel, telling him she's telling the truth. And so the angel says in verse 21, she will bring forth the son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And before ultrasounds were invented, they knew it was a boy. (laughs) She's going to bring forth the son and you shall call his name Jesus. And the word Jesus uh, in in the Greek, it's... um, Jesus, that's probably how you say it, Jesus in, in the Greek, in the Hebrew, it comes from the Old Testament, Yehoshua, which is, uh, it means Yahweh is salvation. Yahweh is salvation. And so that's why you're going to name him Jesus. It was a very common name back then. It, it was, and you know, it's kind of cool when you look at this. But man, just to know that God sent his son, born of a virgin, because of the fact that he could not be born in sin, and we know that the you know that sin is carried through, it comes from Adam, and so conceived in the in the womb of Mary without sin in order to die for us. You know, Christmas it, the the gifts are cool, huh guys? You guys like buying gifts for people? Isn't that a good feeling? It really is, huh? You like getting gifts? I'm just curious. Depends on what it is, huh? You're thinking, oh man, I can't wait to take this back as you open it up. (laughs) I'm just joking. You know, um, we have 10 Christmas commandments. I'm going to share with you. I'm going to share them with you at the end of the study today. And one of the commandments is, I'll give you a little glimpse, is that no matter what the gift is, no matter what the, the, the price is, always know, always appreciate it. Because there was a thought and there was an aspect of love behind it. So remember that when you're opening up your socks, okay? <laughs> but the gift, the gift that God would give His Son, you know, from a cradle destined to a cross, I mean, it's one thing for me to give you my son. You guys know how much you love your kids. For those of you who have kids, man, you love them so much. But to give your son to someone and then to give your son to die, And not just any death, the cross, bearing the sins, knowing the separation. This is what the angel says to Joseph. You you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You know, the word save can mean a lot of different things. Uh, In baseball, you guys know what save means, right, guys? Uh, In finances, we don't know what that means. I'm just joking. We know what that means. In computers, did you save your document? I mean, you name it, um, from drowning. Even from death, you can save people, right? But the, the word saved in a biblical context, it means that he saved us from the just penalty of our sins. And this is the main reason Jesus came. The angel told Joseph, name him Jesus, because his name means Yahweh's salvation, for he will save his people 
from their sins. And as we're celebrating Christmas, and as we're watching those movies, and as we're listening to those songs, and as we're, you know, the trees, and I always tell you guys, you know, the green, the evergreen, it means ever, everlasting life, and, you know, the lights. My prayer is that we would see the light of the world, that we would be, uh, as we reflect Jesus, the light to the world. We know the red is the, the blood, and the white is righteousness, and there's so many beautiful things that we see this time of year, right? But, but, but as we go and, and we're, we're celebrating this, that, that we would never, ever lose the awe and the gratitude for what God gave. He gave the best. He gave His Son. I don't know if I've ever given someone a gift and they tell you thank you and then they tell you thank you and they keep telling you thank you and you're like, wow, they're really appreciative. That's the way we should be. You know, coming to church service. Some people will come on maybe Christmas Day or Easter, or maybe on a Sunday. They're like, well, that's what they do on a Sunday. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you're saved. Because that's why Jesus came, and that's what Christmas is all about. And if you, you, know, if you don't have that, then you can't really truly say that you celebrated Christmas because the whole Christmas story is that God said, name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And so most of you guys are saved here. Uh, if you're not yet saved, I pray you would know this is what Christmas is all about. This is God's heart. John 3:17 says for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. See, that's God's heart, not to condemn. His heart is to save. He wants us to make us he wants to make us whole as human beings. He wants us to make us holy, set apart for Him. He wants to make us free and He wants us to be a forgiven people. You know, there's a really cool story in Luke chapter 19. I was wondering if you guys can turn there. Luke chapter 19 and look at verse 1. It says, then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now, now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Now, now in those days, the tax collectors were the worst. I mean, because you were a Jew and you're in your land. Imagine, you guys, if someone was in our land, United States of America, we're here, we're Americans, this is our land. But what if a foreign country came in and occupied our land and you saw their soldiers lining the streets and you you did not have that ability to rule yourself? That's the way it was then. And so these tax collectors, what they would do, though, is they would work for those foreigners. They would work for the Roman government and they would not only receive the tax that was uh, lawful, they would actually tack on the tax. And so as a result of that, they were completely ripping the people off. I mean, it's hard enough nowadays, right? What's tax in Almani? I think tax in Almani is like 10.5% or something, man. So we got to go to Orange County to buy a car or something. You know, it's just crazy, right? And so the taxes add up. And so imagine, you know, you go to a store down the street and you got this guy over there or whatever. And uh, he's saying, in order for you to cross, you know, through Lower Azusa Road, if you want to take your stuff through Lower Azusa Road, you got to add, you know, another, you know, 10% or whatever, 20% onto that. You can't go anywhere unless you pay this tax. And you're a Jew? 
You're a Jew working for the Roman government? I mean, let me tell you something. They were disgusting. They were despicable. They were the worst. Tax collectors, prostitutes. That's the way they saw it. And so this is that guy Zacchaeus. He's there. He's a chief tax collector. He's rich. But notice it says in verse 3 that he sought to see who Jesus was, but he could not because of the crowd, and he was like me. He was short. He was a short guy. I can't see. And so he was probably even shorter than me. And so he ran ahead and check this out. He climbed up into the sycamore tree in order to see Jesus, in order to see him, for he was going to pass that way. You know, he heard the word, hey, Jesus is being passing by here. And the crowd's there and he can't see them. He's jumping up and down. He's, hey, can I get on your shoulders? No, go away. And so what does he do? He goes and he climbs up on the tree. And it's a trip to me, man. He wants to see Jesus. Now, there's something about that, don't you think? There's something about that as well. How about you? Maybe you're here today uh, and you're not really a believer, but you're, maybe you're interested. Yeah, I would like to see Jesus. Well, that's God already working in you. But I think it's a beautiful desire. So he actually climbs up a tree. And so when Jesus is passing by, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he saw him and he said to to him, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down. For today I must stay at your house. Your house. Imagine that. I mean, this is a, a, a Jewish rabbi, holy man. They're saying he does miracles. They're saying he's a prophet. Some are saying, you know, he's the the son of God. He sees me up on this branch, up on this tree. He he notices who I am and he says for me to come down, hurry up because I'm going to come over your house. We're going to break bread together. That would never happen with the religious leaders of that day. But it's just so cool the way that the Lord, he saw him. He saw him. And so Zacchaeus made haste, came down, and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, and that would be in reference to all those snobby religious people, when they saw it, they all complained, and they said, he's gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. And then Zacchaeus stood and he said to the Lord, look, Lord, I I give half of my goods to the poor. And if they've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For, and here it is, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. You know, when you look at this right here, this is our This is all of our story. If you're a Christian, right? How the Lord, you know, the Bible says no one seeks after God, not not one. But when God starts seeking after us, he starts putting that desire within us. And he goes, you read Luke 15. He leaves the 99 to go after the one. And And I read this right here and it just blesses my heart to see you know, that, that the Lord, you know, would actually go and, and look for and dine with and, and just love on a man who is a sinner. A sinner. Maybe that's you today. 
Maybe you're here today and you're a sinner. You know, and you just know you are and you just feel like maybe you're watching online. You're like, man, I don't know about those church people. They would never accept me. Yes, we would. You want to know why we would accept you? Because Jesus lives inside of us. And he loves sinners. And he's going to go to, he'll, he's going to, go to your house. That's how much he loves you. You know, when Zacchaeus experienced Jesus and experienced that love, Zacchaeus immediately got saved. And we see that because of the fact that he would, you know, give half of his goods to the poor and he would restore fourfold. That was far exceedingly above what the law would require of him. But when an individual is saved, you're going to see fruit. You know, this guy had a lot of money, but the money never filled the void. Because money, the, the hole we have in our heart is a hole that only God can fill. And so that's the Lord. You know, every time we come on a Sunday morning, and I'm sure those of you guys, do you have God's heart? Can I ask you that question? Do you have God's heart? Because if you do, you have such a burden for the lost. And every time you come to church service, every time, every time you go out, wherever it might be, you're always wondering, Lord, is there anyone there today that might come today who's not a Christian? And Lord, if they come, save them. Because only God can. And I want to say that, that if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I pray that today you would give your life to Christ. And that you would bear fruit. Remember, going to church doesn't make you a Christian, right? That's just presence. That's attendance. But you want to give God your heart because that's what really Christmas is all about. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And that's what God does. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. You know, to save us from our sins, and we've talked about this many times, but you know, the, the, we talked about how to be saved from our sins means that we're saved from the power of sin, the penalty of sin, and the presence of sin one day. No, before we were Christians, I know that um, we were under bondage to sin. There were things that we, you know, the way that we spoke, the things that we did that we could not change. It wasn't until God came into our life and not only did he open our eyes and give us conviction, but then he gave us anointing and the power to say no to those things. That's what happens when, you know, you get saved. You know, and, and my wife and I, we were praying for a homeless man on the way in right now. We saw him it broke our heart a lot of these homeless people is because of the drugs crazy drugs we prayed lord save them you know and you go and you reach out and you do what you can 
and you feed them and you know maybe you can find a, a place where they can be warm and, and house them but ultimately we know they need to be saved but God can save them. You know I was thinking about how a lot of times we're going outside Target and you see the guys ringing the bells and they're asking for money usually this time of year and, uh, and if it's a Salvation Army man let me tell you that's a good cause. Don't be afraid to give money to them because I remember when my dad was He was out there in Skid Row. And they gave him a place. That was part of the process of God beginning to save him and set him free from 40 years of heroin addiction. See, when he came to save us from the power of sin, from the penalty of sin, which is hell and the lake of fire, which is separation from God forever. And then one day from the presence of sin. And that's the ultimate salvation. You know, when we are there in glory one day in heaven, you guys. Um, yesterday, we were getting together and we were talking about how as a church, Calvary Chapel Almani, it's kind of cool. We we had the video and we actually started with this uh, the the video that we have to help the unborn uh, child conceive within the womb of uh, of a lady, a young lady, and you know all the way how we want to minister starting there, all the way to where so when they're conceived, all the way through their life until they're received into glory, and we showed some pictures of people who who used to attend this church who have died. But they didn't really die. Now they're in heaven. So when they're conceived till they're received in glory, and when they're there in glory, when we're there in glory, no more sin. Is that going to be cool? Imagine that. And that's what we see. We're saved from the power of sin, from the penalty of sin, and one day from the presence of sin. And so as the angel tells Joseph this in closing today, Matthew tells it that this is all biblical, you know, and that's important for us to know. This is biblical. And so Joseph responds obediently to the request. We read in verse 22, So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, and this is from Isaiah seven fourteen. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And then Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. You know, and of course, you know, we need that biblical backing, don't we? Here we see, um, and as you go through the scriptures, so many prophecies regarding the first coming of Christ. But this one out of Isaiah 7.14, written 700 years before his birth, tells us that he would be born of a virgin. And, and this is interesting. They shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, most of us, when we uh, think of Jesus, we, we don't really think of him being named Emmanuel. But, but in all reality, when you read here in Matthew, back in Isaiah chapter 7, it's just another name for Jesus. And we can't forget this name. 
Just like with Henry, I forgot to mention, aren't you guys excited at the fact that he has a little granddaughter now? I don't know if you guys knew about this, man, but um, a little granddaughter, and her name is Elia Elizabeth Acosta. Acosta. So, you know, you, you're like, well, there's three names there. Yeah, Acosta is, is important, right? Because, you know, there's something about that name. And then Elia, well, of course, that's her first name, right? That's her first name. Most people will probably say the, the middle name, well, that's not that as important. It's just the middle name, right? But, but Elizabeth is important because that, now she's named after her grandma. So do you, if you were to ask grandma if her name's important, what would she say? Oh, yeah, that's the most important name right there. <laughs> that's what grandma might say, right? And so when it comes to Jesus, he has so many names. Jesus, Yahweh is salvation. Emmanuel, don't forget Emmanuel, because that one means God with us. And I tell you what, we need that. We need to know that we're never alone, even though sometimes we feel like it. We're never alone because God is there. He's with us. He's to us. He's for us. He became one of us. I mean, it's just so cool to have this understanding. We'll never be alone again. And so I pray, you guys, we would celebrate this. And going through the scriptures, um, this time of year is so important. Read these stories. Meditate on them. Share them with your friends. And then uh, see what God does this year. I know he wants to do something special. So uh, I mentioned to you that the Ten Commandments uh, of Christmas, or the top ten Christmas commandments, is actually my brother-in-law sent me this this morning. I thought it was kind of cool. This is actually taken from a Calvary Chapel pastor's devotional. Okay, so let me read them to you. And the last one's the most important one. That's why I want to share this with you. But number one, commandment number one, don't you don't have to write this down. <laughs> Thou shalt not leave Christ out of Christmas. Amen. Number two. Thou shalt prepare thy soul for Christmas. Amen? Number three, thou shalt not let Santa Claus replace Christ. Uh, You know, it's funny how you have different convictions. I told you guys my personal conviction, and I make that clear that I didn't teach my kids about Santa Claus because I didn't want any rival thrones. And you might be here and you're like, but you're like, I like Santa Claus. Let me pray for you. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> you know, that's not a deal breaker. Don't, don't get me wrong. I like the way he words it, though. Don't let him replace Christ. Number four, thou shalt not burden the shop girl, the mailman, and the merchant with complaints and demands. Okay? <laughs> Number five, thou shalt give thyself with thy gift. I like that. Give thyself with thy gift. This will increase its value a hundredfold. And he who receiveth it shall treasure it forever. Number six, thou shalt not value gifts received by their cost. Even the least expensive may signify the most love. And that is most priceless than silver and gold. Number seven, thou shalt not neglect the needy. Share thy blessing with many who will go hungry and cold unless thou art generous. Number eight, thou shalt not neglect thy church. Its services highlight the true meaning of the season. Number nine, thou shalt be as a little child. 
Not until thou hast become in spirit as little one art thou ready to enter into the kingdom of heaven. You know how Jesus said, you got to have the heart of a child. And then number 10, and this is the most important, thou shalt give thy heart to Christ. Let him be at the top of your list.